In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are three dimensions to divine love that bear reflection. Some of them will already be very familiar. The three levels are, you are my friends if you do what I command you. We're familiar with that. Love one another as I love you. We've heard that, maybe haven't thought about that in depth. And the last and the most profound, as the Father loves me, so I also love you. They correspond to the three ways of the spiritual life. The way of purgation, being freed from sin. The way of union, the way of illumination that lead us into perfect loving union with God and participation in the Holy Spirit. So many of us have at a time given up on religion or so many of our friends have given up on religion because they think it's only about that first part. They think religion is only about obey the commandments, be good, avoid sin, be moral. Some people stop because they just find that impossible. There's a... There's a disconnect between their, their faith and, and their actions, so their, their beliefs eventually conform to their actions. Some people, however, actually can obey the commandments reasonably well enough. They just get sick and tired of religion if they think that religion is only about the commandments. Well, today's should offer some good news. This does begin with acknowledging our Lord and God and honoring him, which means to obey him. But that opens the door to something truly mystical. At many a wedding mass, when this passage from the Last Supper is read, the homily so frequently turns on this second level. Love one another as I love you. Our Lord is saying this at the beginning of his passion. Just when he is about to begin to offer himself up in sacrifice for our salvation. And he, he spells out very clearly what he means. There is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Christ has offered his life up for us. And he's telling us, love others that same way. Love other people the way I have loved you. Offer up your life. Be willing to lay down your life for others. What we will discover, whether that be at the beginning of marriage or at the beginning of, a, of, a, of just a, a truly generous life, that life all of a sudden becomes beautiful. Pain and suffering become far, far less burdensome because we're not focusing on what this means for me. We're actually willing to offer up anything and everything for, for the sake of others. At a certain point in time, we might even look forward to having some kind of inconvenience to to offer up as a gift to someone, or in a spiritual level, to have some kind of suffering to offer up uh, to, uh, to accompany our prayer for that person. Now, I see in this Mother's Day a whole new level to, um, to this lesson on love from the Last Supper. Certainly intend to focus on 
love one another as I have loved you at wedding masses. If we have more wedding masses here, we need more men who are looking for a wife and not a mother in their old age. But listen to this with your understanding of the Trinity, as imperfect as it may be, as a background for these words that began this short passage of the gospel from the Last Supper. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. These words at, at, at first hearing sound very simple. It just sounds like the Father loves me perfectly, I have loved you perfectly. There's not even a commandment. There's not even something we're supposed to do about it. We're just supposed to acknowledge it. And it easily gets lost because it's at the beginning of this lesson in love. What I propose to you is that it's the most shocking words we just heard this morning. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. You have some knowledge of the Trinity. You're about to profess your faith in the Trinity, in the Creed, that God the Father has begotten God the Son. God the Son receives divinity from God the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from this love between God the Father and God the Son. This is obviously something that happens not even before the creation of the universe. It happens as the eternal activity of being God. So yes, before time, before history, before the creation of the universe. But even to say before, it makes it sound as though it's an historical event. It simply is the being of God, that God the Father's love is so perfect that it results in God the Son, the divine person, perfect and equal in dignity, owing, owning and sharing the same divine nature. The love of Son is so perfect between Father and Son that proceeding from that love is the Holy Spirit, the divine person, the third person of the Holy Trinity. That's about all that the church expects us to be able to say every Sunday in the Creed. That's a mouthful. It's also a deeply profound mystery that we don't think about often enough. There is a Sunday dedicated to Trinity, Trinity Sunday. So we'll revisit this again. For now, think about the, the Son simply saying, As the Father loves me, so I also love you. The Father loving me results in my life. I am begotten of God the Father. So perfect is his love. His love isn't just perfect and wanting the best for me. He totally gives himself. Which is why the love of God the Father results in the divine person of God the Son. And that's how Jesus loves us. His life, his love results not just in our receiving gifts, blessings, help, encouragement. It doesn't result only in our being cleansed of sin if we repent. 
His incarnation and his, his offering to us is more than just making us better creatures, obedient servants. That's the beginning of it. But his love for us is to result in our becoming like him. How appropriate then is it that within, within years of our Lord's ascension into heaven, Christians in the city of Antioch became, or followers of him, became known as Christians. People like Christ. Some of you who dabbled in seminary know that a priest, or if you've taken a theology class or two in Christology or sacramentology, have heard that a priest is referred to in Latin as an altar Christus, as an other Christ. But it's not just a priest who's turned into someone like Christ. Christ promises all of us, if you live in me, all these things that I have done, you will do and greater things besides. Miracles will come through your heart and through your soul. Some of us discover this this deep, profound mystery of the power of God coursing through us in extraordinary suffering. And when in our extraordinary suffering, we still manage to be people of charity and care about others. It's so easy for extraordinary suffering to turn, to turn us bitter and hard and resentful. Or a combination of that and hopeful. But fortunately, that's not the only way that we discover this most mystical aspect of God's love. Simply the normal course of discipleship and receiving grace and having a sacramental life can result in our realizing, oh my goodness, God actually makes me almost divine. God has lent his power to me to become a mystical creature. I'm not sure which question applies to whom or even which question is more difficult, but the first question to ask is, do we really believe that Jesus meant that? Do we really believe that Jesus intends for all of us to have mystical power coursing through us that is available for the benefit of others? Do we really believe that? How often have we seen that? All right, Mother Teresa and Mother Teresa, right? But that's supposed to, it's supposed to be all of us. All of us. Now, if we, even if we do believe it, do you want that for yourself? Are you willing to be so drawn into the life of God that you yourself become a mystical creature, that miracles happen through you? Well, let me suggest, if you're here at this altar and you even believe that the bread and the wine that are going to be on that altar will be changed by my words into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, 
you believe that human beings can be turned into mystical creatures. Obviously, by the power of God, not by anything that the man has to contribute to it. As men, as male and female creatures of God, we all are being transformed into mystical creatures. Do we need any more evidence than what already happens in the natural order? Where a woman is the means by which God knits together a human life from the, from the smallest of cells. And one of them even comes from her, from within her own body. But it's knit into another human being who has been given life, for whom a brand new human soul has been created. Do we, do we have any room to doubt that human beings have been made to wield the power of God, to give life to others? Think for a second then what it means to come up to receive Holy Communion from this altar. It means that you want the living God, the resurrected Son of our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity, to be inside of you. If That's just an allergy. Don't worry. I'm not sick. If you are not interested in being a mystical creature, don't receive Holy Communion. That should be really weird for you. God living inside of you. The living God on your tongue, in your chest coursing through your veins, beating in your heart. That, that is our everyday life as Christians. To be turned into God-like creatures. Perhaps the turning point is in realizing that I don't receive the sacraments just for my own benefit. Obviously, it begins there. It begins with baptism. It begins with receiving absolution and confession. Certainly, the sacraments benefit us. But their ultimate purpose aren't so that I get better and better, or nicer and nicer, or holier and holier. It's so that I can be turned into someone like God for the benefit of others. God could certainly find a, a less mystical, a less out-of-the-ordinary way to sort of make us behave. But that's not his only purpose. He wants us to become like him. And as a believer, you have a natural inclination to want to receive him, to want God to be inside of you. And so I beg you, realize what that means. And don't impede the work of God's grace to transform you into the creature that, is, that has more in common with angels than with puppies. Yesterday we had the beautiful occasion of First Holy Communion. And I, I offered the, the little ones a little insight into, into my mom's life because it's understandable at first we, 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 we count how many times we've received Holy Communion, right? Today's my first, no, for a lot of 
a lot of you, today's your second Holy Communion, right? Friday at school mass or Saturday or certainly next Sunday, third or fourth Holy Communion. It's pretty awesome. At a certain point in time, hopefully, hopefully we stop. Although I know that one little soul yesterday counted that, that she had received 53 Holy Communions so far. So more power to her. She must, must be keeping count. It's beautiful and it's, it's, it's natural. But at a certain point in time, we realize that we're sort of just thinking about ourselves. Although it's possible that it's a deeper and deeper appreciation of, of the love of God revealed so many times. It's entirely possible and hopefully it turns into that. But my mother doesn't remember her first Holy Communion. She hardly remembers her last Holy Communion. The only Holy Communion that mom's thinking about is her next Holy Communion. All of us can be drawn into a relationship with Jesus where we realize that this mystical encounter with him is really more about him. And his drawing me into his life. And at a certain point in time, he will be our life. And the only thing we will have to look forward to is seeing him face to face. As the sacraments we receive are are less and less about what I want, what I hope to get, and more and more about what what I'm willing to offer up and how I'm willing to make this fruitful for others, and ultimately, simply, and utterly for the glory of God the Father. Then this mystery is beginning to take shape. Love and obey, and love as he loves. And give thanks to God that he loves us the way God the Father loves him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.